some at their guard post, and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. You may be seated. So this morning, we're in, obviously, Nehemiah chapter 7. And if you've been with us this summer, you know that we've been going through this book of Nehemiah. And we're kind of find ourselves this morning right at a hinge spot in this book. So far, we've been talking about the reconstruction of the wall. And then moving forward, you're going to hear about the restoration of the people. And so here we have the walls are built. But guess what? There's a problem. There's no people in the city. You see, a city is much more than its structures or its architecture. It needs people. And so here we find Nehemiah, and here's the big idea today. Gathering God's people in God's city. Because that is what Nehemiah is trying to do in our text today, is gather God's people in God's city. So to help us see that, I want to look at a few things today. Gathering God's people in God's city calls for faithfulness, watchfulness, and genuineness. Faithfulness, watchfulness, and genuineness. Let's start with faithfulness. Look back at verses 1 and 2. Now when the wall had been built, I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. So we see that Nehemiah, the, the, he had, the walls are built, And here he is appointing people. And he knows that his authority, his his leadership can only go so far. And he knows that he has to delegate that authority. And so he appoints people on the wall, but he also needs to appoint some leaders to be over Jerusalem. So we see the first guy, his name is Hanani. You probably remember him from chapter 1. This is Nehemiah's brother who made the long, dangerous journey to Persia to tell Nehemiah that, hey man, the walls are torn down and the people need your help. And so that's what kind of spurns Nehemiah on to make the trip to Jerusalem. But then there's this other guy, Hananiah. Well, what does Nehemiah point out in this scripture? What does he really emphasize about this guy? What really makes him able to lead in Jerusalem? Is it his charisma? Is it his magnetism? Look what Nehemiah says there about Hananiah. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. You see, it wasn't his charisma or his magnetism that Nehemiah wanted to highlight. It was his character. And so gathering God's people in God's city is going to require faithfulness. And faithfulness in our culture is not emphasized, is it? It's more about what you can produce. It's more about results. Not necessarily how you go about producing those results, but just so you do produce the results. Right? Some of you, I see you shaking your head. 
But Nehemiah is emphasizing character here. And not just any type of faithfulness. Because you can be faithful to something and not be God-fearing, right? He's talking about a godly faithfulness. And I think the application is clear to us is that if we as the church, God is calling us to gather people, not just any people, but God's redeemed, saved people into God's future eternal city. That's the mission of the church, right? To glorify him and to enjoy him in the midst of that. But he has sent us to share the gospel to the nations and even your neighbor. And he's calling us to do that, to gather his people into his eternal city. And so if we're going to do that, he's calling us to faithfulness as well. A perfect example of this is Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Do you remember when the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness? And the devil was there trying to tempt him after Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was completely vulnerable. Do you remember what the enemy tried to do with Jesus? He tried to get him to turn stones into food. He tried to get him to throw himself off of the temple. So that way God, you know, the angels would care, you know, pick him up. They, uh, the devil tried to get him um, to look at all the kingdoms of the world and say, hey, if you just bow down to me. I will give you authority over all these kingdoms. But Jesus remained faithful. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but that's Jesus. <laughs> do you know my heart? <laughs> do, you, do you know what I wrestle with, with unfaithfulness? Daniel, if you crawled up into here, you wouldn't be talking about Jesus, talking about there's your example, because you know that I need much more than just an example. Well, praise God, Jesus isn't just your example. He's your savior. A lot of us struggle with temptations towards unfaithfulness. Does some of you ever look on whatever social media site you're on these days? You ever look on there and see pictures of that family that has more than you? I mean, those pictures are perfect. Those people are sitting just right. Everybody's got just the smile you wish that your family had in your pictures. The cars they have, the houses they have, the clothes they have. And then envy just starts welling up, doesn't it? Discontentment. Maybe women, you look at that husband in those pictures and you think, I think he probably loves his children more than my husband loves our children. I bet he knows his wife better than mine knows me. And the temptation for unfaithfulness starts to progress. But yet God still calls us to faithfulness. There was a pastor in Scotland a couple hundred years ago. He was an elderly man, but a faithful man. And he come, he's walking up to the church and a deacon comes up to him and the deacon says, hey, pastor, I don't think that your sermons and I don't think that your pastoring is really working because we've only seen one soul added to the church in the whole last year. Man, you know, the pastor's kind of like, you know, his elderly, his hands are shaking and his eyes are starting to moisten up because he felt some of that as well. He wished that more people were added to the church. But he said to the deacon, he said, I feel what you're saying, but the Lord knows that I've done my duty. And so he goes up in front of his flock that day that God has called him to shepherd. 
And he ministers with a heavy heart. And that very day, he wants to resign, but he doesn't. After the congregation leaves, after everybody's gone, this little boy that the deacon was talking about comes up to the pastor. And he says, Pastor, do you think if I work hard for my education, that one day I will be able to be a preacher or a missionary? And this time that pastor's eyes were starting to moisten up for a completely different reason. And he looked at that boy and he said, you know, I sense the divine calling on your life and I think that you will be a preacher or a missionary one day. And that boy turned out to be Robert Moffat, who ended up to be a famous missionary in Africa and was later the father-in-law of David Livingston, another missionary to Africa. You see, you never know where God is going to place fruit in your life When he calls you to be faithful, the results might not be immediate, but yet he still calls us to be faithful. Amen? Okay, that's easy to see for a church leader. What about my home? Something I was convicted of when I was thinking about this is men, husbands, do do we know our wives, really? I mean, I remember when we used to have goo-goo eyes towards our wives. We, we, yeah, we thought we knew them, and now life has gone on, and, and pressures have come. Do we know more than what they get done in a day? Do we know more than what they experience in a day, either at work, on the job, or at work, home with the children? Do we know more than the task that they do? Do we know their fears? Do we know their dreams? Do we know who they want to become? Do we know what they think about God? Do we know what they think God thinks about them? Men, may we strive to be faithful before unfaithfulness creeps in. And maybe you're you're single and you desire marriage. And yet the Lord has not put that person in your life yet. Remain faithful and don't try to jump into unfaithfulness just to medicate your loneliness. Remain faithful. And on your job, when you're discontent with the way the organization is being run, remain loyal. Remain trustworthy. Are you taking your issues to somebody who can actually take care of the issues? Or are you like me a lot of the times and just spreading the cancer of negativity to somebody who can't even solve the problems? May we be a people who remain faithful. And it would be easy to leave here today and think that this text is about you and me needing to be faithful like Hananiah was faithful. But David Uran pointed this out to me. He said, Daniel, don't miss this. This is really about God's faithfulness. Because what we have in Nehemiah chapter 7, remember, is this official document of the genealogy of those people who returned from exile. And years before they returned, don't forget that Jeremiah prophesied while they were in captivity, the Lord will bring you back. And here we see evidence of God's faithfulness. Amen? 
The only way you and I are going to pursue faithfulness is if we remember that we have a faithful God. When you're tempted to unfaithfulness, remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Listen to this. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Gathering God's people in God's city requires faithfulness, but it also requires watchfulness. Let's look back at verse 3. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. So what's really going on here? The thing is, is that you can't just have a wall that's built and people in the city without having some watchmen on the wall and some regulations on when the gates can be opened and when they need to be shut. You see, there was a lot of opposition around Jerusalem and people wanted to take Jerusalem out. And Nehemiah knew that he was going to have to set down some protective regulations on when these gates can be opened and when they need to be shut to protect the people. And so just simply thinking about this, commentators have a lot to say about this section. But what I can find as a consensus is that Nehemiah asked them to wait till the sun was all the way up before they opened the doors so that way intruders wouldn't come in in the morning darkness and to make sure that they shut the doors before the sun went down to protect from nightly intruders. But not only does he need regulations on when the doors need to open and shut, but he also says you need watchmen on the wall, watchmen to look out, guards to look out. And so I think it's really easy for us to see here is that We need watchfulness in the Christian life as well. We need watchfulness against the enemy's devices. Nehemiah was looking out, thinking about the enemy before they attacked, and he was thinking about the enemy's devices. But who was our enemy? What are the devices of our enemy? If you've been coming to Church of the Redeemer for any time, you know you've heard Dean talk about the flesh, the world, and the devil. And so I won't labor on it, but some of the enemy's devices for us as Christians is, number one, the flesh. Although we place faith in Christ, you and I both know that we still struggle with a sinful man within us, don't we? And the Lord calls us to put that sin to death and to resurrect, you know, righteousness in our lives. And so we know that we struggle against the flesh. And not only do we struggle with something from within, but we struggle with the world. The systems of cultures that are in rebellion against God, trying to do everything they can do to distract us from the God of the Bible. With images and politics and whatever they can do to try to lure us with idols to grab our hearts as opposed to us grabbing on to God. And not only that, not only the flesh and the world, but we also have the devil as well, who likes to whisper in your ear, Christian, that you're just a dirty rotten sinner and you have no worth 
And so my question to you is, is knowing that you have all these enemies against you in the Christian life in this world, do you have guards and watchmen in your life? Do you have people looking out for you? Aaron and I, we went to Virginia this past week to buy a truck, and when we got all the way up into Virginia, straight up 77 into the mountains, Aaron started to get a migraine. And so she was in no mood to drive the car back home that we took up there to get the truck. And so what I decided to do is instead of getting a hotel room to try to, you know, overnight, maybe she'll be fine to drive home in the morning, I decided to rent a car hauler. I don't know if you've seen these things before, but you can get them from U-Haul. It's basically a flatbed trailer, and you just roll your car right up on it, strap it down, and take it home. So it was after hours, and Aaron and I show up to this U-Haul dealership, and nobody's there to help us with the trailer. And so I hook up to the trailer, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got it. I see it, you know, straps here and chains there, and there's the ramps. All right, Aaron, can you watch for me? I'm going to pull up onto this trailer. And she's like, whoa, wait, wait. You don't own this trailer. You've never used this trailer before. Don't you think we need to read the directions? And I'm like, no, I got it. She says, no. No, let's read the directions. And when Aaron does that, I'm I'm like, okay, let's read them. So she's reading the directions. And, you know, to justify myself, I pretty much had except for one huge thing. Is uh, on this flat trailer, one of the fenders... Pop two latches, and it folds down. The reason why the left fender folds down is when you pull the car up onto the trailer, you're able to exit your vehicle. It's pretty smart, and that's a big part that I miss. So just think about it. I mean, if I wouldn't have released those latches and let that fender drop down, I would have pulled up onto the trailer, and I would have been like, "Mm, you know, I can't get out. And so I either got to crawl out the back or I got to open the door up in two inches. And you can look at me. You know, I ain't sliding through two inches. And so I had, I'm just, she was looking out for me. She saw that, hey, you're missing this because of your enthusiasm of this purchase and trying to get home at a decent time. Do you have people looking out for you? Because so many times us as Christians, we can look at our life, what God's called us to, what he's blessed us with, and say, you know what, I got it. I can handle that. But my friend, we have got some things against us in this world. The flesh, the world, and the devil. And so we as Christians are not in isolation, are we? But God has called us into the church. So I want to ask you, do you have some friends within this church, some genuine Christian friends who know you, who know what you're good at and know what you struggle with? Do you have some good Christian friends here that you know? And when I say good, I don't talk talking about how righteous they are. I'm talking about people who know how to repent, people who know how to run to Christ as opposed to something else to medicate them in their sin. That's what I'm talking about. I was talking to some guys over email that are wanting to start a new life group here, and I love the way they described it. I said, you know, what are you guys trying to do in this life group? And a guy wrote back, we want to be struggling Jesus followers together. And another guy said, yes, we want to journey together in grace. And I thought, man, that's it. That's us. 
We are struggling Jesus followers. And praise God that these brothers want to get their families together to know one another and to be known. I wish more of us would be willing to do that. And I think if we're going to gather God's people in God's city, it's going to require not only faithfulness, but also watchfulness. But there's something else in this text. It's genuineness. Look at verse 4. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. And no houses had been been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. And then it goes on and on and on. And a good on. I mean, these are the list of the people who were brought back from exile. So don't hear, you know, sarcasm. I mean, this is a sign of God's grace. This is proof of God's grace and his faithfulness. But the list does go on and on. And so it would take us a lot of time to read through that. So read through that this afternoon. But what's going on here? Why? Why is Nehemiah using this list? Because remember Nehemiah's goal. He's not just trying to gather any old people in God's city. He's trying to gather who? God's people. His mission is to gather God's people in God's city. And the list that he used is God's people who returned from exile. And so there's a couple points here that are important to remember. Is that first, you need to know your family name. You need to know your family name. These Israelites were not going to be allowed in the city if they, can't, they, they couldn't prove their pedigree, that they were from the original people of God. The same will be with us. You will, we will not be able to enter the eternal city of God unless we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's something very important to remember. But there's more to it than that. You need to remember your family name, not only for entrance, but also to be able to be faithful and watchful in this life. Because here's the thing, I think a lot of us struggle with living who we really are in this life. We struggle with living who we really are in this life as Christians. Because we hear the accusations, don't we, from the enemy. You're dirty. You're worthless. You're fake. You're a failure. You're used up. And some of you have believed the lie. That's the goal of the enemy, to get you to exchange the truth about God for a lie, which then makes you worship the created thing rather than the creator. And so my goal right at this point in the sermon is to give you some truth to bank on. Because all this talk about faithfulness and unfaithfulness and needing to be watchful about your sin in the world, we could get stuck in the despair of sin if we're not careful. And a lot of us need to remember who we are. Let me tell you who you are if you are in Christ. 
Bear with me. You are a child of God. You are in Christ. You are an heir with the Father and a joint heir with Christ. You are reconciled to God. You are a saint. You are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works. You are a citizen of heaven. Amen. You are a member of Christ's body. You are united to the Lord and are one spirit with him. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a friend of Christ. You are righteous and holy. You are hidden with Christ. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You are part of the true vine who is Jesus. You are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. You are a child of light. You share in the heavenly calling. You are more than a conqueror through Christ. You are a partaker with Christ and share in his life. You are chosen. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Guess what? You are the devil's enemy. You are born again by the spirit of God. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ. You are saved by grace. Do you hear me? You are a recipient of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And if that wasn't enough, listen to you that are struggling to live out who you are. Listen to this truth. When you feel dirty, when you hear the accusations, you are redeemed By the blood of the Lamb. You need to know your family name. Thank you, David Steele, for spurning that desire in my heart to remember that. We not only need to remember our family name, but let me check you. Are you a genuine Christian? Maybe you saw the baptisms earlier and you heard Dean say, listen, this water doesn't automatically save anyone because remember, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so if you've been baptized before, has there ever been a time in your life where you have placed faith in Christ? If you say, hey, I've never remembered a time when I didn't place faith in Christ. I've always believed. Okay. But if you cannot think of a time and you're still going on in this life in rebellion against God, trying to fake it till you make it, you will not enter into the eternal city unless you are a genuine child of God. And so how? How is one to become a genuine child of God? The scriptures make it clear. That if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And so let me ask you, do you know your need? Like Dean asked earlier. Do you realize that when I'm saying be faithful, you know you can't be faithful. When I'm telling you to be watchful, you've been living in isolation because you don't want people to really know who you really are. You don't want to be found out because you know you don't have Christ covering you in his righteousness. Listen to this, unbeliever. Christ was the true faithful one. Christ was watchful when he was most vulnerable to the enemy. You see, Christ was deemed a counterfeit, wasn't he? 
And yet he was the genuine Messiah. And listen to this. This Jesus Christ, he died on a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem so that through his resurrection, you could live for eternity in the eternal new Jerusalem. You do not have to leave here today wondering if you're genuine follower of God. For those of you who are like me and like my other brothers I talked to this week, struggling Jesus followers, remember that gathering God's people in God's city calls for faithfulness, and yet God is the faithful one. And watchfulness, and yet Jesus was the true watchman. Do you remember his prayer in John 17? And also genuineness. May we as a church live out who we really are in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be right with you. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in the hearts of the listeners this morning that don't yet trust you as their Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, that they would simply pray to you, asking for the forgiveness of their sins and realizing that their righteousness is not enough to be made right with you, but they will have to trust in another's righteousness, who is Jesus Christ, who lived the life that they could never live and died the death that we all deserve to die and yet rose again so that way we could have new life in you. I pray, Lord, that... you would make that a reality in their hearts and in their lives today and that, Lord, they would tell somebody about that so we could help them grow in their faith. Lord, I pray for us, Jesus, Lord, us that are struggling to follow you, Lord, that we wouldn't quit struggling. Lord, that we wouldn't roll over dead because we've had unfaithfulness after unfaithfulness after unfaithfulness. But, Lord, will you let us see, like your word says, That in every temptation, you give us a way out because you are faithful. Lord, I pray that you help us to find more people to get around us in our lives. That know us and we know. To be watchful for them. To check them on their blind spots. Not in a self-righteous way, but in a way to protect them. I want to pray that we would live out who we really are in Christ. Lord, that we would not give in to the accusations of the evil one. Lord God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand with us.